Welcome to the Truth and Godliness Podcast, where we seek to be a voice for sound doctrine and biblical Christianity. Here is your host, Pastor Brian Evans of 5.7 Community Church in Detroit, Michigan. Well, hello, and God bless you. And thank you once again for tuning in to the Truth and Godliness podcast with your host, Pastor Brian Evans of 5.7 Community Church in Detroit. Today, I want to continue the series that I've, a series of episodes that I've started a few weeks ago on what is Christianity? What is Christianity? And again, it sounds like a very simple and basic an unnecessary question and topic, but I think is really actually the most relevant of all topics. Because once again, right now, I believe we are living in a moment where the Christian church in America is in serious decline. As our country, our society is unraveling and coming apart, we need the church to be the church now more than ever. However, I'm not so sure that the church understands who she is here in the the church in America, at least. And again, this is not a absolute statement that applies to all churches and all Christians. God still has his faithful remnant. However, um, for the most part, the church is in a very sad state right now and we need revival the church needs revival every true christian should be praying for revival that god would cause there to be an awakening in our land that god would pour out his spirit that god would revive his people and that his church would be salt and light in the midst of our generation during this time of darkness but as i've said before True revival does not happen apart from a revival in hunger for the word of God. Revival does not happen apart from faithfulness to the the truth of God's word. If you remember in the Old Testament during times of revival under the good kings of Israel or of Judah, That revival was always precipitated by a return to the law of Moses. And what made these kings like Jehoshaphat and Josiah and Hezekiah, what made these kings so great was that they they removed the idols from the land and they led the people back in faithfulness to the law of Moses. And that's what it's going to take in our day. It's going to take a clearing out of the idols of of selfishness, the idols of wealth, the idols of comfort and convenience and the me first mentality and a return to biblical Christianity. And so I've been talking about in these episodes, what are the core doctrines? What are the the essential teachings that make Christianity. What are the things that we must believe, teach and emphasize in order for our churches to be considered faithful uh, churches, um, teaching true, faithful, biblical Christianity? Uh, In the first in this series, we talked about the supremacy of God. In other words, Christianity starts with God. 
it doesn't start with man and how important he is and and how how what his needs for happiness are and all of that christianity begins with god it's the the whole foundation of the christian faith is the knowledge of god that he is the creator and that he made all things for his own glory but then we talked about secondly um the, the doctrine of the Trinity, how that the God we've been created by and the God whom we are to love and to know and to worship is the triune God revealed in Scripture as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that in knowing this God and being able to glorify this God, we must come to know God as he reveals himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together in the work of man's salvation. The Father is the one who ordains and decrees whatsoever comes to pass. The Son comes and he accomplishes the work of redemption. And the Holy Spirit comes and applies the work of redemption, uniting God's elect into the body of Christ and sanctifying sanctifying man. And, and we experience um, the the love of God and the grace of Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit um, as we grow in the knowledge of this this triune God. And so we said that this is where Christianity starts. This is the foundation. Christianity starts and begins with the knowledge of God, the, the God of the Bible. But then there is another um, important element to the to the Christian faith to true biblical Christianity and it is the doctrine concerning the sinfulness of man the sinfulness of humanity and let me just uh, preface uh, this what I'm about to say on this subject by by saying this if you think about it what is the main message of the Bible what is the central message of the Bible we say that the central message of the Bible is called the gospel. When Christ came into the world, he came proclaiming the gospel. Gospel means good news. And so the central message of the Bible is good news. The proclamation of the good news that God has sent his son Jesus into the world to redeem humanity. But now here's the thing. If in order for us to appreciate the Christian message as good news, it implies that there is some bad news that we need to understand first. You can't appreciate something as good news when you haven't first heard the bad news. You know, if, 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 you, are born, if you were born into a perfect world where no one ever got sick, and no one ever contracted cancer, and then somebody come up to you and said, hey, I just found a cure for cancer. Well, that's not really good news. You know, you're not really interested in that because, hey, who needs a cure for cancer? Nobody has it. And it's the same thing here with the good news of the gospel. If people don't understand the bad news, if they don't understand their need of salvation, then the fact that a savior has come into the world is not really good news to them. And I really believe that this is one of the major problems in American Christianity today is that we have lost sight 
of what the Bible teaches about the sinfulness of humanity and of our need of salvation, our need of redemption. Another, another place in which I, I, I see and recognize this reality is, again, there's another, uh, there's another topic that is associated with the gospel in the Bible, and that is that of joy. Especially when you read the Old Testament prophecies about the coming of the new covenant and about the salvation that the Messiah would bring. When the messianic kingdom is described in the Old Testament prophets, it is always associated with joy and with great rejoicing. Especially in those great prophecies in the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah prophesies about the Messiah and his coming kingdom. Notice how often Isaiah talks about the joy that, that will fill the earth and the rejoicing that would characterize his people as they experience their salvation. But again, why is there so much joy among God's people under the new covenant? Because they have been redeemed. They have been saved. A person who is on their way to destruction will rejoice at being rescued from that destruction. But ask yourself this question, when you look at the church today, when you look at Christian people today, do you see joy as the common inheritance among all Christians in America today? Do you sense real, genuine joy? Does joyfulness characterize the American Christian church today. As a matter of fact, I think that one of the reasons why in the church today there is so much um, focus on entertainment, where uh, there's so much focus on the praise team and 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 the style of, of of music, contemporary music, and using all kind of instruments and incorporating all these new and entertaining things into the worship service, is because we're trying to, or, or we see the need to manufacture joy among the people. I mean, if you if you if you take away all the instruments, you take away the praise team, you take away uh, all the entertaining things in our churches, um, the people would just stand there and barely sing. As a matter of, of a fact, I've seen churches where you've got the big praise team and you got the instruments and you got all of this fun stuff going on in the church and, and, and most of the people are still standing there barely participating, barely engaged in the worship. And people say, well, you know, I'm just not an emotional person. And though it's true, not all people are emotional. Not all people express their emotions the same way. That's true. But I don't think that's the reason why people stand still in worship and, and, and are not engaged and don't express joy. Because these same people, when their children hit the winning shot in the Little League game, you see them show some emotion. Have you ever seen a parent with their kids and their kids walk across the stage at a graduation or their kids make a good play on their sports team league or or either the or either these people are into sports and their favorite team is winning or their favorite team loses in the playoffs have you ever seen them show no emotion in those scenarios no so 
we do get excited and show emotion about the things that we are excited about. Why is it that in the Christian church today in America, we have to have all of these carnal manu- uh, these car- uh, uh, carnal means to try to manufacture emotions and joy out of people? Why don't it just come naturally? Again, I believe one of the main reasons for this is because we don't appreciate what it really means to have been saved and delivered from the wrath to come. And a lot of that has to do with um, the culture today. A lot of that has to do with the culture today. This whole idea of the sinfulness of humanity, that human beings are born sinful and radically depraved. This is such an obnoxious uh, 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 teaching in our culture today. It's not popular at all. And, and I think even in the Christian church, it's something that we find reprehensible. We don't talk about sin in the church today. And I think, again, one of the main reasons for this is it goes so counter against the stream of the culture. In the culture, we are being constantly told how special we are and how important we are. You know, we live in a humanistic society where man is at the center of everything and man's happiness is the most important thing. And we are being constantly told in in every commercial, in every political speech, in every advertisement, in 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 all the shows that come on television, in school, we are constantly being told how great and how wonderful we are and how we deserve the best and how we deserve to be so happy. And even in the Christian church today, this is the way the Christian message is presented. When you go to the typical church today, the pastor does not tell you that you are a sinner and you are God's enemy. And if you don't repent and be saved, God is going to judge you in his wrath and you will be eternally punished in hell because you are sinful and you are evil in his sight and you are in need of his saving grace. Preachers don't talk like that anymore. What they tell people is God has a wonderful plan for your life. And God loves you so much that he gave his son to die for you. And God wants to bless you. But in order for him to bless you, you need to surrender your life over to him. Well, again, why should I surrender my life to God? If I don't see myself as a sinner on my way to hell, why should I surrender my life to God? And again, I think that deep down, Uh, Most people today see themselves as basically good. Most people see themselves as basically good. When you talk to people about the Christian message today and, and we talk about the need of salvation. The thing you hear people say over and over again is. Well, God knows my heart. You know, I, I, I try to do the right thing. I'm a I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Yeah, I make mistakes and and so forth and so on. But I'm a good person. And what we do is we compare ourselves with people who are worse than us. You know, I don't do the things that this person do. I don't do the things that 
uh, this person do? You know, I'm a good person. And I think most people in the church see themselves that way also. We think that, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm not perfect. I've made some mistakes, but I'm basically a good person. And so we don't see salvation. There's no sense of desperation. We don't see ourselves as people on a sinking ship about to be drowned with no hope of salvation unless God comes down and save us. You know, when you think you're entitled to something, then there's no joy if somebody gives you something that you feel entitled to. And I think that's one of the reasons why you don't see much joy among Christians in the church today. Because we, we think that a relationship with God is something we're entitled to. As a matter of fact, a lot of people today think that they're doing God a favor by giving him some of their life. You know, it's kind of like, and, and again, a lot of preachers is, is, is responsible for this. Because it's a lot of the preachers and the pastors who present God this way. Making God out to be this desperate God who, oh, he just wants to have a relationship with you so bad. And won't you just please surrender your life to God and let him into your life. And, you know, and so it's like we're doing God a favor by giving him some of our time. And so there's no joy. There's no gratitude over salvation. Because we think we are basically good people and we feel that a relationship with God is something that we are entitled to. But that's not the picture we get from studying the word of God. The Bible teaches a different perspective about humanity. In the Bible, Scripture tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And not only that, the Bible teaches that man, apart from the grace of God, is fundamentally evil. He's fundamentally evil. I want you to notice something that Jesus said. And, and I think this is something that we pass over when we read the Bible. You, you all may be familiar with the passage in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus is talking about prayer. And he said, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. And then he gives this little parable to describe God's readiness to answer the prayers of his children. And I want you to notice what he says here in Matthew chapter 7. And um, beginning at uh, verse 9, he says, Or which one of you? If his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give things to those who ask him? Did you catch that? Did you catch that? Jesus is comparing earthly parents with God, the, the heavenly father. And he's saying, you earthly parents, if your child asks for something, you're not going to give them 
something that's going to hurt them or harm them. You're going to try to give them what they desire. You're going to you're going to you delight in seeing your children happy. And so he says, if you who are evil are like that towards your children, how much the more will your heavenly father be like that towards his children? Because the father is not evil. But the point is this. Jesus assumes that all people are fundamentally evil. Can you imagine if Jesus was here today and he was on the uh, eight o'clock news or on the main mainstream news channel being interviewed, talking about prayer? And then if Jesus said to all the whole audience watching him, if you being evil can do this, how much the more your heavenly father do it? Just write casually calls everybody essentially evil. But again, this is these are the words of Jesus Christ. And he's saying here that human beings and he takes it for granted that this is common knowledge. He takes it for granted that 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 they understand this. But this is this is not just something that Jesus mentions here. This is the fundamental teaching of the Bible from beginning to end. That human beings without all without exception are fallen, sinful and evil, radically depraved. And I think that this is one of the main things that the Bible is trying to teach us even from the beginning. If you look at the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter one starts off with the creation. God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates man and woman. In Genesis chapter three, what is the first thing we see happening then as the as the story shifts from focusing on God, the creator, and it begins to focus on Adam and Eve, our first parents, the first human beings? What is the first thing we see Adam and Eve doing? Rebelling against God. What what is the first thing we see happening among Adam and Eve's first children, Cain and Abel? Cain gets jealous of his brother Abel and murders him. And then notice the uh, 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 the flow of Genesis leading up to the to the flood to Noah's flood. There's two genealogies there in Genesis chapter four and in Genesis chapter five. In Genesis chapter four, we get the genealogy of. Um, Cain, I can't remember if it's four or five, but we get this genealogy of Cain. Cain represents those who follow the way of the devil, the, the wicked among humanity. Seth, who was the child who replaced Cain, uh, Abel, he represents the people of God. But when you read the genealogy of Cain, what you see is this digression of human wickedness. You get you see this digression of human wickedness until we get to Genesis chapter six. And then we see the whole world now is full of evil. It started from Cain and then it just multiplied throughout his descendants until the whole world became full of evil. And and notice what it says in Genesis chapter six and verse five. In Genesis six and five, it says the Lord saw 
that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now that's, 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 a, that's a heavy passage of scripture. Here, God says through the prophet Moses that God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And we know he's talking about the whole of humanity because who all died in the flood? All of humanity except one family. Except one family. Noah and his household. But other than that, the entire human race had completely descended into a state of utter wickedness. And then notice he goes on to say, every intention of the thoughts of his heart is only evil continually. Every intention, even, even the motives. And, that's, and, and see, that's where the evil lies. See, a lot of people think that, well, you know, I'm not such a bad person because I don't kill people. I don't cheat on my spouse. I don't, you know, I don't steal uh, stuff that don't belong to me. But we only look at our external behavior. But notice here in Genesis 6 and 5, it's talking about the intentions of the heart. And Jesus revealed that to us in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. That evil is not just the outward act. It is also the inner motive of the heart. The man who looks on a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery with her in God's eyes. The person who hates his neighbor is a murderer in God's eyes. So that's why the Bible could say that every intention and thought of man is only evil continually. Because think about this. Evil is defined in reference to God. A lot of people think that I'm not evil, I'm not such a bad person because I do good things. But here's the thing. We are not only obligated to our neighbor, we, we're not only obligated to our families, but first and foremost, we're obligated to God. And this goes back to my first episode in this series about the supremacy of God. Remember, we talked about the Ten Commandments, the structure of the Ten Commandments. Before the Ten Commandments says, before the, before the commandments forbid us to sin against our neighbor, first it forbids us to sin against God. The first four commandments tell us our duty towards God. And Jesus sums it up by saying that the, the sum of the law is you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So what that means is true righteousness, true goodness begins with loving God with all the heart. And loving God with all the heart expresses itself in a life of obedience and worship and faith and service. The heart that loves God does all things to please God. And so 
whatever we think and whatever we do, if the glory of God is not the aim, then it's evil. If we do things for our own prideful desire to be praised in the eyes of men, if we do things in order out, out of the fear of man or, or to gain the, the, the um, uh, gain favor with man or, or we do anything other than for the reason of obeying and pleasing and glorifying God, then it's evil in the sight of God because, because here's the thing, whatever you are aiming to please, if it's not God, it's an idol. If you're aiming to please yourself, if you're aiming to please your children, I'm talking about ultimately. There's nothing wrong with, with wanting to, 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 with loving people and having a desire to uh, make people happy in a, in, a, in a lawful sense. But that can't be the ultimate aim. The ultimate aim is to please and glorify God. The scripture says, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So whatever we do, if it's not done out of obedience to God, it's sin. The scripture says, whether we eat, drink, or whatsoever we do, do it all to the glory of God. If the glory of God is not the aim, then it's sin. So the reason why the word of God could say in Genesis 6 and 5 that the intentions of man's hearts, the intentions of men's heart is only evil continually is because in everything that man does, his motive is not to glorify God. His motive is not to obey God. In everything that human beings do, their motive is to please self or somebody else, not God. And so therefore, the Bible says that everything from the heart of man is evil and sinful. And again, we don't have to only go by the Bible. We can just look around us at the world we live in. I mean, when you look at the world do you, that you live in, do you think that the world is fundamentally good or do you think it's fundamentally evil? What is it that dominates the news every day? We live in a world full of war, a world full of injustice, a world full of hatred, a world where, where little children are not safe, a world where women are not safe walking down the street. We live in a world where evil is, is everywhere all around us and goodness, true goodness is very rare. And as a matter of fact, we live in a world where people are mocked for being good. How many TV shows are there on television about be people being wholesome and good? You don't see too much of that because, because nobody would watch it. It's not, it's not entertaining. We want to see we want to see the bad side of humanity because that's what entertains us. And so the scriptures teach this clear doctrine, and this is an essential aspect of biblical Christianity. Any expression of the faith that does not teach about the fallenness of humanity and the evilness of humanity and his utter inability to save himself is not, 
is not a, a true expression of the Christian faith. And as I said earlier, the gospel makes no sense apart from what the Bible teaches concerning the sinfulness of, human, of humanity. And again, some people say, well, you know, this doesn't describe me. I'm, I'm not, I'm a, I'm not a bad person. So, you know, this doesn't really apply to me. But again, I think Romans chapter three sums it up beautifully. I don't know if you can call anything about the doctrine of sin beautiful. But notice what the Bible says in Romans chapter three, beginning at verse nine. In Romans chapter three, beginning at verse nine, it says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now that's the biblical verdict on the human race. There is none righteous, no, not one. Not one. And brothers and sisters, before we can understand the New Testament message of the grace of God, we have to understand what the law of God in the Old Testament reveals about humanity, that there is none righteous, not even one. That's the whole purpose that God gave the Ten Commandments. To expose our sinfulness and to show our guilt before a heavenly God and our utter need of God's grace for salvation. And so, brothers and sisters, I think, again, this is very important when we think about what is true biblical Christianity. And if you just put this episode in context with the two episodes prior to it about the supremacy of God and, the, and the, about the, the Trinity, and then now looking at the sinfulness of humanity, from the get-go, what you see is that Christianity is a faith which shows us a very big God and a very small man. Christianity puts forward before us a big God who is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being and in all of his perfections. A God who is sovereign, a God who is independent and in need of nothing, a God who is infinite and eternal and, and exists in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But then the Bible puts for, before us also a human, a humanity 
that was made in the image and in the likeness of this great God, but the humanity that was made in the image and in the likeness of this infinite and eternal God, that humanity has fallen into sin. It is not what it was created to be. Our first parents rebelled against the creator. And as a result, the image of God in us was marred. The image of God is still there. We're still made in the image of God. That's why you still see some decency and some noble things about humanity. Because we're still made in the image of God, but that image of God has been greatly marred in, in all human beings because of sin. We are born into the world. Read Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. And it explains to us how, how that we were born into sin as a result of Adam's disobedience. We were born into this world partaking and sharing in his guilt. But not only that, we were born in this world with a nature that is utterly corrupt and depraved. And for that reason, Jesus could look at his audience and say, you are evil. Because that is the fundamental, fundamental nature of human beings. We are evil and that's why Today is no different than in the days of Noah. The wickedness of man is great in the earth. And if we don't teach this, brothers and sisters, we're not teaching real Christianity. And if we're not teaching this, then there is no need for the gospel of God's grace. And when you preach the gospel of God's grace to people who think that they're basically good, and they don't see themselves as in need of salvation, then the gospel is not such good news to me. Yeah, that sounds nice, but I don't need it. Give it to somebody else who needs it. I don't need to be saved. I'm a good person. Yeah, I need to work on a few bad habits. Yeah, I need to change a couple of things, but I don't need Jesus because I'm all right. I'm a basically good person. And that's where we find ourselves at today, brothers and sisters. And if we want to see a return to true Christianity where you see Christians expressing real joy in their salvation, we must learn again this basic Christian doctrine of the utter sinfulness of the human race. Well, that's all for this. I could go on and on and on with this, but uh, I think we'll cut it off right there. And uh, we'll be back next time to explore Again, the other doctrines which show us what is true Christianity. God bless you. You have been listening to the Truth and Godliness podcast with Brian Evans. To send us a message, drop us an email at bevans at 5.7.org. That's the B Evans at the number five, the word point spelled out, the number seven dot org.